Well, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me for our scripture reading, for our sermon text this morning. We are in the Gospel of John. John chapter 10. John chapter 10, and we're going to look together at verses 11 through 18. And I'll invite you all, please stand with me for the reading of Holy Scripture. This is God's holy word for us, His people. And these are the words of our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, beginning in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. This is God's holy word for us as people. Let's ask him to bless our time in his word today. Father, we have lifted up our voice to you in song and in praise and prayer. And now we long for you to lift up your voice upon us. To speak into the minds and hearts of each one of us. To open our eyes to see wonderful things in your law. To open our heart to receive the truth of your word, but you stamp your truth upon us today. And may this be an Easter where we are marked by a change, by new life. Do a work and a wonder for each of us. Help us to lean in and listen carefully to all you have for us today. And we'll give you the glory as you do your work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Back in the old days of colonial American preaching, they had some extremely riveting sermon topics. The great Jonathan Edwards once preached a lengthy, penetrating sermon on the sin of procrastination. Scintillating sermon topics, procrastination. Edwards preached this sermon and he gave 
several biblical arguments for why you shouldn't be lazy, slack, why you shouldn't wait till the last second, why you should get up, get moving, get it done, don't be a slacker. He had several arguments, and my favorite argument that he gave in that sermon was this. Jesus rose early from the grave, so you should get up early too. And, I, and it, you know he was serious, because in those days, there were no, there's no humor in preaching. He was the last of the great line of Puritans, and he meant it. Here's my paraphrase of Edward's argument. If Jesus can rise early from the dead, you can rise early from the bed. <laughs> right? My favorite argument from that sermon. Now, okay, that argument probably doesn't convince, convince you. Okay? You're probably still going to hit snooze. But just think for a second, why, why would an argument like that even make sense for him to make? Like to him, why did it make sense to him to make an argument like that? What does that argument assume? It assumes that it was actually up to Jesus when he rose from the dead, just as much as it's up to you to get out of the bed in the morning. While he was dead, Jesus was in complete control of how and in fact when he would rise. Life and death, Easter itself, was on his schedule. The rest of the world had to be on his time and on his terms. That's what an argument like that assumes, to even make that argument. And you might be quite skeptical of this assumption in Edwards's argument, and rightly so. This is completely foreign to our own experience of death. Typically, when someone is dead, they don't come back, and if they did, it wouldn't be up to them when it happened. Sometimes people die on the table and they get shocked back to life a few minutes later, but that's not up to them, that's up to the medical people in the room. So this is completely outside of our normal experience, and yet that's what Edwards is assuming. And you're right to be skeptical of such an argument, except in our passage this morning, Jesus asserts directly and explicitly that he does, in fact, possess such power and authority over life and death itself. He makes this bold assertion in John chapter 10 in the context of two other general assumptions that or assertions that he makes. Jesus says in our passage that he is the owner of his sheep. Right? He couches this whole passage in this illustration of a shepherd with his sheep. And he says in that illustration that he's the owner of the sheep and that he is the good shepherd of the sheep. And then he reaches the climax of his teaching when he says that he has authority over death and he informs us that this was the very purpose of his first coming. The Father sent Jesus on an Easter mission. So as we look at these 
three assertions, that he's the owner of the sheep, that he's the good shepherd, and that he has, indeed, all authority over life and death itself. Let's begin with the first, that Jesus is the owner of the sheep. Now, before we talk about what it means to own the sheep or any of that, we need to know something. Who are the sheep? Who are these sheep in Jesus' illustration? And he tells us in verse 14, in the first part of verse 15, who they are. When he says, I'm the good shepherd, I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Who are these sheep? These are those who know the Lord. And don't just know about Him. Haven't just heard a set of facts from a few sermons over a few years. Who haven't just heard about it in a song or read about it in a book or listened to some preaching or caught a, caught a piece of a program on the radio and, and have picked up, or just from the culture or from jokes or cartoons and TV, just picked up little bits and pieces about who Jesus is. Th- this isn't the kind of knowledge that you could simply make the right answer on a test and get everything right. right I could, you could give me a test about, you know, some famous person, say Michael Jordan or somebody, and I could probably get a lot of facts about him right, but I don't know Michael Jordan. I've never seen him in person. I've never met him. He doesn't know me. I don't know him. There's no relationship. Here, Jesus is saying, my own know me and I know them just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. This is a relationship. How intimately does the Father know the Son? How intimately does the Son know the Father? It is a close, tight, deep, intimate, solid, meaningful, substantive relationship. And this is the kind of relationship that the sheep have with the shepherd. They know the Lord personally, experientially, in their own life, in their own heart. They know this person, not just a set of facts about this person. That's what it means. That's who the sheep are. Second question here. What does it mean to be owned by Jesus? If being a sheep means knowing Christ the way the Father knows Christ, what does it mean to be owned by Jesus? You see him talking about being the owner here in verses 12 and 13. He says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf scatters them, snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand flees because he is just a hired hand, and he doesn't care for the sheep. If a shepherd has his flock, and he's off for the day, and he hires somebody just to come look after him, that hired hand isn't going to look after those sheep the way he will. They're not going to care about those sheep the way he does. He's the owner of the sheep. They are his. They belong to him. What does that mean? To be owned by Jesus. Well, if we look ahead of our passage, further into the chapter, we see this in... Uh, verses 25 to 27. 
And earlier in verse 24 here, the Jews want to know, they ask Jesus, tell us if you're the Messiah and tell us plainly. Stop using sheep metaphors and just say it. (laughs) Okay, enough parables, riddles and tricks. Just tell us, are you the Messiah or not? And Jesus answered in verse 25, I already did that. I did tell you, I told you, and you do not believe me. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. To be owned by Jesus is to be picked out to be in his flock. Did you notice the logic of verse 26? You do not believe in me because you are not one of my sheep. It's not the other way. You are not a sheep because you don't believe. As though faith were the requirement of becoming a sheep. It's actually the opposite. You don't believe in me because you're already not in the flock. If you were one of my sheep, you would believe in me. But since you're not, you don't. That's the logic. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So to be owned by Jesus is to be selected to be one of his sheep, to belong to his flock. The shepherd chooses his sheep. The shepherd doesn't put up a sheep wanted sign and hope some sheep show up. Right? In fact, the reason they believe is because they're already sheep. And the way you know they're already sheep is when they hear that shepherd's voice calling them, their little ears prick up. They recognize the voice of the Savior and they come running. And I've mentioned this once before, but there's a video, there's multiple videos on, on YouTube where you can go look up, you know, does it, you know, an example of how a shepherd and its sheep know each other and how anybody else who tries to call the sheep, nothing. And so there's this, it's not in English, uh, but they're not really saying anything anyway, so it doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter that you can't understand them. It's this little class that went on a field trip and they go up to the fence and, and the sheep are just kind of scattered around and they're just kind of eating. And, and, and the and the little kids are like, here sheep, here sheep. You know, not in English, but they're like trying to call like, hee, 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 come on, come on, come on. And the sheep are just like, you know, bah. <laughs> Who's that? Eh. All right, and, and nothing, no response, they don't care. All right, they don't care. And, and one by one, the kids, and they're laughing, and they're giggling, and it's, and it's very cute. And then, and then at the end of the video, the shepherd walks up, and he starts calling those little sheep. And one by one, you see their heads pop up, and you see their ears prick up. And then here comes one, and there comes one, and another one comes, and he keeps calling them, and they know his voice. And before you know it, the whole hillside is just sheep running towards that fence, running to him. They know him. They didn't pick him to be their shepherd. He picked them, and they know his voice. And to be owned by this one is to be chosen to be in his flock. It's to be given ears to hear his voice. It's to be given this knowledge and this relationship with him. 
He does that for you. He owns the sheep. And because he owns the sheep, what does he do? What does the owner do for his sheep? Look at 12 and 13 again. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who doesn't own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep. He forsakes them. He's out of there and he flees. And the wolf snatches those little sheep and scatters them. And that's the end of the flock. He flees because he's just a hired hand and he doesn't care. He cares nothing for the sheep. What's the point? The point is Jesus is the owner. He's not a hired hand. He cares for the sheep. He knows those sheep. What does it mean for him to be the owner? He picks his flock. What does the owner do for his flock? He faces the wolves. He stands when you can't. When the enemies come rushing towards you, he defends you. He stands there. He does not flee. He does not flinch. He doesn't take a step back. He doesn't care how many wolves are approaching. He doesn't care about those wolves. He doesn't care about himself. He cares about his sheep, his flock. He cares everything for his sheep. And he will see to it that they are protected and not one will be snatched and not one will be scattered. That's what the owner does for his sheep. He faces those fierce, growling enemies of his own. Look ahead again to verse 28. He just said in verse 27, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No wolf can snatch you from him. No enemy can overpower him. You are safe and secure with your Shepherd, he is the owner of the sheep. And this is why, point two, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. The good shepherd. He faces your enemies and he fights for you to the bitter end. It is his mission as the good shepherd to make sure that none of his sheep perish And the last enemy that threatens to destroy his sheep, the last enemy that threatens to make those sheep perish is death itself. And so if he's going to save you from perishing, he has to face that enemy, death itself, to make sure you don't perish. This is why he frames his discussion about being the owner of the sheep in verses 11 and 14 and 15. Verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. The death of Christ for his sheep is not the end of Christ, it's the end of death. When the good shepherd lays down his life for you, it's not the end of him, it is the death of death. He deals 
a death-destroying blow to death itself. A mortal wound to mortality itself. This is what the cross ultimately accomplishes. John 3.16 God loved the world in this way. He sent His Son. He sent His Son so that what? He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will what? Not perish. You're one of His sheep. You're not going to perish. Why? Because a sinless Savior died to save you from the last Wolf in the pack. Death itself. The death of Christ is the death of death itself. And it takes away all your sin. John 1.29 Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It brings you from death into life. John 5.24 Whoever believes passes, has already passed, out of death and into life. This is what the good shepherd does. He lays down his life to save you from death. Save you from sin. Save you from perishing. And today he stands and says, Believe in what I have done. Believe in this good shepherd. Believe that he has done it all to spare you, to save you, to protect you to claim you, to defeat all of your enemies, to make you His own. He is the Good Shepherd. He will see to it that none of His own are lost. See to it that you are found in His flock. We have seen that Jesus is the owner of of the sheep, and Jesus is the good shepherd. Here at the climax of the passage, Jesus pulls back the veil of eternity and lets us see that Good Friday and Easter Sunday are the ultimate purpose of His first coming. In eternity past, God the Father sent His Son on an Easter mission. A death and resurrection mission. Look at verse 17. He says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. For this reason the Father loves me. Namely, I lay down my life so that, for the purpose of taking it up again. The Father loves the Son's obedience unto death and into the resurrection. The Father loves the Son's obedience through Good Friday, through Holy Saturday, into Easter, and out the other side of death itself. Notice the condition in this verse. For this reason, because of this, on this basis, the Father loves me. And you say, hold on a second. 
So you're telling me that the father's love for his son is conditional? That's what it sounds like he's saying. What we have to do is put this in the larger context of Scripture. The father has always loved his son infinitely, perfectly, eternally. But in this context, in the Gospel of John, and in the larger context of the New Testament, the Father's love has a condition. His condition is this, lay down your life and take it up again. Lay down your life and take it up again. Now we call this condition the covenant of redemption in Reformed theology. The covenant of redemption. He keeps going in verse 18. He says, no one takes it, referring to his life, no one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge, this commission, this command, this mission, I have received from my Father. You see, the Father gives the Son a charge. A task, a solemn mission. And he gives the son the authority to fulfill that mission. The father and the son, in eternity past, agree to this Easter mission. This wasn't plan B. This wasn't a, oh, look what's going on. Let's see if we can fix it. Ooh, I didn't see that coming. Okay, now let's see. How about, oh yeah, cross. Let's do cross and resurrection. That sounds good. Uh, all right, quick, scramble. Get the Holy Spirit. Let's work it out. And let, Okay. And it wasn't this scramble to try and fix the fall. In the Garden of Eden. Now this was the plan from the start. The Father and the Son have a pact, an agreement. The Father gives the Son a charge, a command, a mission. And He sends the Son with the authority to do it. It's a death and resurrection mission. And this says the Son perfectly fulfills His mission when He dies and rises again. And because He fully and perfectly fulfills that mission, the Father loves Him. The Father loves the perfect obedience of Jesus. The perfect redemption Jesus accomplished in His death and in His resurrection. So here's how it works. The Father elects a people to be His flock, to be His sheep. He chooses His Son to be their shepherd. He sends the Son to gather His flock from all the nations, verse 16, to own the sheep, to have one flock and one shepherd, and to be their good shepherd. The Son gives His life for those sheep given to Him by His Father. And then He takes His life back and He rises from the dead. And now He stands in victory as your shepherd today. This is how it works. He has all authority to give His life and to take it back when He's ready. When he chooses to do so. Many of us, maybe all of us at some point, have, have been with a person who has died. Who's, were there when they pass away. 
I have. And in those moments, you just think to yourself, five more minutes. Five more minutes. Fifteen more minutes. Hold on a little longer. Can't you just hold on a little bit longer? When I used to visit my uh, grandparents back home in North Carolina, uh, Grandma and Grandpa Grubb, they always, whenever we were about to leave, it didn't matter if we had been there for, for six hours, they always, or, or, or six minutes, they always said the same thing when we were about to leave. We'd get to the door, and they'd say, Oh, well, now y'all ain't got to hurry. Y'all ain't got to hurry. Well, we've been here for a long time, Grandma. Yeah, but you ain't got to hurry. You ain't got to run out like that. Come on back in here. Let me get you some to-go plates. And, and she wanted us to stay. And, and I remember uh, when, when Grandpa was in the hospital and, and when he died, I remember being there with him and the whole family's there. And, and man, all I could think while he was, you know, we're watching the, the monitor where he's breathing his last, he's going on to heaven. And, and, I'm, and I'm just standing there and all I can think is, Grandpa, you ain't got to hurry. You don't have to go. Can you just hold on a little bit longer? Can you just wait a few more minutes? There's stuff we haven't said. There's stuff we haven't done. Can you please just hold on? And I don't know if you have somebody in your life that you think, you know, if the Lord just lets you have, you know, one afternoon, just one person who's gone that you miss, that you think, man, if I was one person I could have back for maybe, you know, 15 minutes or just an afternoon, man, come on, like, I just wish I could talk to some, some of the people that we love and that we've lost. And, and in those moments when we're saying, please hold on, it's just, we know they can't. Ultimately, they can't. You know, I'm reminded of the, of the, the last words of that powerful poem by Tennyson, uh, Ulysses, where he says at the end, defiantly, he's an old man, he, he, he's sailing into the face of death, he will not go quietly. And he says, though we are not now what we were in old time, that which we are, we are. One equal temper of heroic hearts, made weak by time and fate, but strong in will to strive, to seek, to find, and not to yield. That's how Tennyson faced death. But ultimately, he had to yield. We can strive only so much. We can seek only so long. We can find only so many days. But the hour comes and we can't hold. And we yield. And death claims all. Our loved ones in those moments, ourselves, one day, we don't have authority to take our lives back. We don't have the authority to keep them. We can, we can lay them down. People take their own lives heroically and in tragic ways. We, we can have authority over that, but that's it. We don't have the authority to take life back. And here we have this promise that Jesus is the one who has that authority. He's the one who can walk into any funeral he wants and just turn it into a celebration. Lazarus, it's time to get up. Little girl, rise. Oh, stop that funeral procession. Here, put the casket down. You're all right. Get up. Come out. 
And what Jesus did for a few people in the Gospels, he promises to do for all of his sheep one day. He left his tomb behind, and because he lives, you you may live as well. He has the authority not just to take his own life back, but he has the authority to take your life back from death. This is what Easter is all about. The risen Jesus has the authority over life and death. He stands today alive, risen, ready, and eager to give you life. This day, this morning, if you put your trust in Him as the good shepherd, He stands ready today to raise the dead in you who were lost or who are straying, or who feel spiritually dry. He can raise those dead things in us and make us new creatures. The Father loves the Son for His death and resurrection. And oh, Christian, how you should love Him too for the same reason. Do you love Christ today for His death and His resurrection? Do you love Him for owning you as His own? Do you love the Good Shepherd who redeemed you with His life? Is His bitter death sweet to your soul? Do you love and trust Christ's authority over your life and your death? Is He and His authority and what He accomplished your hope? Today, Do you feel that hope inside you? Is Christ the good shepherd that your heart longs for? Do you know his voice? And when he calls, do you follow him? He calls today. Listen. Listen to the risen Jesus calling you. Repent. Believe. Trust. And receive. All that I have done in my Easter mission for you. And you will have eternal life. And you will know my perfect love. And the love of a perfect father. And you will never perish. Easter is the promise of your resurrection. Not just a reflection on his in the past. Easter is for you. Christ stands ready for you. Come to Him. Come and find your eternal life in Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, we give you all the glory and praise today because you're the one who has given us Easter. You're the one who has given us Christ, who sent, you're the one who sent him on that mission. And we're so thankful and thrilled that he fulfilled it perfectly for us, that he has faced down all of our enemies, that there is hope, that death is not the end of us, that you have authority over your own life and over our lives as well, Lord Jesus. And today we come to you. We hear you calling today and we know your voice and we want to run to you. We want to belong to you. 
We want to love you, to be owned by you, to know you in your death and resurrection. We want you to raise us up, to give us spiritual life, to make all things new in us, and to give us the hope of eternal life, of resurrection from our own grave. A hope that is out in front of us, that thrills us in the midst of life, that carries us through every trial and suffering and circumstance, that allows us to be sinned against and continue on with joy and forgiveness because we know what we've been forgiven. Oh Lord, we give you thanks and praise today. We worship you, the living Jesus, on this Easter Sunday. And I pray that you would make this a day of new life for those in this place who do not know you. And that you would make this a day of new life for those who do, but have been far away for far too long. Confirm us in our faith. Strengthen us. Claim us for yourself today as we give you the glory. In Jesus' name.